the name of the God who is and who has always been and who always will be. Amen. Uh, My message this week is sort of a part two following last week's message. I'm not going to continually refer back to last week, so if you weren't here for that message or, yep, I know this happens sometimes, maybe you don't remember every last word that came out of my mouth last week, right? I I know it happens sometimes. Uh, This message is still going to be able to stand alone, but if you have time this week, I'd go on the church website or whatever app you use for podcasting and listen to these two sermons from Hebrews together. What was last week's message? Last week I talked about Abraham's life, right? His call from God to move to Canaan, his years living as a pilgrim and a wanderer, the sins that affected his life and the life of his family. Uh, his life looked like yours and mine. Each day presented challenges, some, some new, some familiar. Each day presented temptations, some new, some familiar. Each day he was face-to-face with neighbors, people's in his, people in his life to love. Each day his family had the promise from God that the land where they lived would be theirs. They had the promise that God would bring about through them the Savior of the world. And my text this morning, Hebrews 12, we're looking at these first three verses of that chapter, starts with this word, therefore. That word is what makes today's message a part two. When you see a therefore, you have to look back at what came before. Hebrews 11, last week we read all about Abraham, but in that chapter we also have recounted the stories of so many others. Uh, Noah, Moses, Rahab, all these people who like Abraham, like us, lived the daily battle between sin and love, clinging to faith in their Savior. Hebrews 11 recounts their stories and then says, Therefore, from verse 1, Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. This great cloud of witnesses, these are these long-ago believers whose stories are recorded for us. They are witnesses to us. Their life stories tell us about God's grace shown to sinful humans. When we read about them in the Bible, we're meant to apply their stories to our lives. We do this all the time when we read books or we watch shows on TV and we put ourselves into the shoes of the characters. God recorded not just doctrine in scripture, but stories, history, told in a narrative way so that we could identify with these people. God wants the person who's feeling adrift in life to identify with Abraham and Sarah as they wander the promised land. God wants the person who's grappling with a loved one's death with illness, to identify with Job as he mourns his children and scratches at the sores on his skin. God wants the the woman wrestling with infertility to identify with Hannah as she wordlessly cries out to him in the sanctuary. The text calls all these people a cloud of witnesses who surround us. And the way this text goes on, you're clearly meant to picture them in, in a particular way as spectators cheering you on while you run a marathon. Now, I know the answer for a few of you, but not everyone, so I'll ask, who is a runner? Who has been a runner here? Has anyone ever run a marathon? Has anyone ever cheered on a marathon runner? Okay. I have not run a marathon. I don't believe I ever will. I was a 5K runner in high school. That's about the longest I ever want to run. But it's long enough that I was able to learn something about a long run, right? Having people cheer you on helps. Running Cross-country, you're often running through woods. There's spots on the course where you're alone. It's just you pushing yourself along. And those are the spots where you want to slow down to walk to stop pushing yourself. But then there are the spots along the course where the spectators gather. Right, Moms and dads who came to watch. you got teammates who are running a later race, uh, coaches, friends. When you're running past them, you run. Their presence motivates you. You know that some of them will run the very same course. So the verse goes on. Therefore, surrounded 
by witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. When we identify with the lives of God's people who came before us, we see that we're not alone in our struggles. We see that someone else has fought battles like ours, but we don't just identify with them. We learn from their stories. They have advice to give us as we run. If I ran past my cross-country coach and I was running with sloppy form, right? My head, my arms were flopping. My head was down. He'd yell at me, hey, get your arms pumping. Get your head up. What I'm doing there as I run hinders my ability to run. And yeah, sure, I'm tired and doing all that feels more comfortable, but if I intend to finish the race, I'll feel better if I run with better form. Running slumped, sloppy, I can hurt my back. Uh, There's more pressure on my knees. I'm less energy efficient. I need to listen to his advice. The same thing holds over to our lives of faith. God's people of ages past teach us through their lives how to run. The text says we learn from their lives how to recognize everything that hinders, and sin that entangles. Two separate things. First, uh, sin. As fallen human beings living in a fallen world with other fallen human beings, we sin. We are sinned against. So, uh, sometimes we sin and in response are sinned against and in response sin, right? Sin stops us in our tracks. Sin is described as entangling us, tripping us up and stopping us. Something I said last week, sin doesn't can't come from faith. Sin is antithetical to faith because faith is trusting God's promises and sin is rejecting God's promises in favor of my own wisdom. To sin in my faith life race is to stop and go in entirely the wrong direction. I'm not moving toward the end. God's people of ages past have struggled with the same sins with which you and I struggle. Throughout their lives, Recorded in scripture, we see what temptation looks like. We see what situations and circumstances trip them up and cause them to stumble. And we take those lessons into our own lives. Surrounded by our great cloud of witnesses, we are able to throw off easily entangling sin. There's a second thing this passage points out that we learn from them. Everything that hinders. God's people show us not only how to cast off sin, but everything that hinders. These are two separate categories, right? Sin stops our forward motion, but other things simply make it more difficult to run. There are things of this life which are not sinful, but which can become obstacles to our race. Money, scripture often refers to in this way, money is not in itself sinful. It's a gift from God, but throughout the scriptures, we're warned against the pursuit of money, the love of money, the seeking of security through the accumulation of money. It's hard to say when the line is crossed from appropriate care for God's gifts in this life to sinful greed. Right? So rather than categorically say money is sinful, we just simply recognize more often than not, money can be an obstacle in my faith life race. Family, another one that can be an obstacle to return to Abraham's life. When Abraham was first called to Canaan, Abraham's father Terah came with them. But before arriving in Canaan, Terah seemingly pushed for them to stop and settle in another land a land called Haran, and they did. Abraham had a word directly from God, a command to go, and for a time he allowed the influence of his family to win out over that. Family, like money, is a blessing from God for this life given for our good, but we ought not pretend that people don't often make foolish, sinful choices through the pressure of family. That's a hard one to hear. All of this is hard to hear. In fact, so much of what I have and hold day to day can impede me in my race. So much of what I do and experience day to day can tangle me up and send me in the wrong direction. 
And even with the cloud of witnesses which surrounds me, even armed with the life stories of God's people from ages past, we all find ourselves daily picking up hindrances. We find ourselves daily wrestling with sin, whether it's the temptation to sin in some explosive public way or to simply let anger and spite calcify in my heart. And is this all there is to it? Right? Is this all there is to life day after day of running and striving? Is this the reason God gave me the Bible because he wants to make me into a better and better runner? Is this what he's waiting for to see me get better, be better, do better? Will that please him so I can finally get out of this rat race? No, that's, no, that's not the point. The Bible was not given to turn you into a, a, um, a compulsive navel gazer. The Bible was not given so that you would spend each and every day charting your progress, patting yourself on the back for your hard work, beating yourself up for your missteps. The Bible was given for the purpose our text makes clear. Verse 2, let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Do you know what will happen to you as you run if you look at your feet the whole time? You'll trip and fall. If you're focused during this race of life is always on yourself. You will stumble, you will fall, you will not finish. No, instead, while we run, we fix our eyes on Jesus. This is an old runner's trick. You don't look at the ground while you run, you pick a spot ahead of you and you keep your eyes forward. That keeps your head up, it keeps your back straight, it keeps your path straight. And in this faith life race, Jesus makes himself the point on which you can focus. That's a lovely metaphor, right? But What does that mean practically, Pastor? How do I fix my eyes on Jesus each day of my race when I can't actually see him? The writer to Hebrews actually talks about this later in this book. We fix our eyes on Jesus by finding him where he promises to be found. So Jesus promises that he's here in your baptism. This is an ancient Christian practice. It's one Martin Luther recommended. Wake up in the morning and remember your baptism. Make the sign of the cross over yourself with the words, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Right away, start the day fixing your eyes on the promise Jesus gives you in baptism, that you're covered up by him, that you belong to God, that you're united to Jesus in his death, you're united to his resurrection for your assurance of life. Fix your eyes on Jesus by seeing this promise. He promises that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, There he is, his very body and blood for our forgiveness. We receive the supper with thanksgiving. In doing so, we fix our eyes on him. He promises that he's present through his word. When we read the Bible at home, he's there, working on our hearts by his spirit, dragging our gaze off ourselves and onto him. In particular, the writer to the Hebrews emphasizes this. Jesus promises he's present where the church gathers around his word. Being with other Christians meditating on the words of our God and the lives of his people with one another. This is a powerful way for Christians to get their focus off of themselves and onto Christ. And this is what you'll learn with your eyes on him. You'll learn that the heartache caused when your close personal relationships chafe with your faith is something that Jesus also felt. Jesus' siblings rejected his preaching and teaching during his lifetime. They thought he was at best crazy, at worst a deceptive blowhard. He understands you. 
You'll learn that living in insecure financial situations is something he experienced. One of his closest followers stole money from the group. You'll learn that he's not just standing at the finish line waiting for you to show up looking at his watch. He's running with you at your side. And what he'll show you on your race is that you're not alone. The Spirit of Christ leads you to run with others, to seek comfort and encouragement from others, and to offer the same. And so our text ends with this encouragement. Friends, do not grow weary. Do not lose heart. The race is long. The victory is already ours through Christ. Amen.